Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. And so Jesus in this particular section speaks to us about what to do when we become the objects of mistreatment. How are we to react when evil is inflicted upon us, when we, when, when we become the victims of a crime, when we become victims of suffering and mistreatment? How are we as Christians to react? Now, I can tell you how I react on a human level. When somebody does evil to me, I want to get them back, right? That's the way we are. That's the natural response. That's the human response. We don't want anybody to get away with anything when it comes to us or those we love. We, we want to make sure that they pay the price. And if nobody else is going to make them pay the price, we want to make them pay the price. That, that's our natural reaction. But listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus is the standard for this. Jesus himself is the standard for this. No one in this world was more mistreated than the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself, the embodiment of God, God himself, so mistreated at the hands of evil men and put on a cross and crucified and, and mistreated so tremendously uh, in, a, in a wrong way. And he's, he's Jesus. And he could have snapped his fingers he could have batted his eye and the whole shooting match would have been over and every one of those people who were mistreating him would have been dead in a second. We know that. But Jesus didn't do that because he was on a mission. He was on a mission for God and that mission was to make salvation possible so that we might be saved. And so, and so instead of retaliating evil done to him, with, with revenge against those who were doing evil to him, he set that aside to accomplish the mission that God had given to him. And he died for us. And so Jesus is the standard for this. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself did not do. And he himself did this at a ultra level, uh, far beyond what you and I will ever face in this world. So here's what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's a principle found in the Old Testament. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, Go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, the, there's, there's different levels of, of what Jesus is saying here. The first level is this. He's talking about when people attack us as Christians. When we are attacked as Christians, this is how we are to respond. When we are attacked because of our faith, this is how we are to respond. But it goes beyond that to being a person who does not return evil for evil. So we'll look at this. But before we do, let's pray. Our Father, we have a long prayer list today. And there's so much sickness, suffering in this world. And people that we know, people that we love are sick today. We pray for their health. We pray for their recovery. We pray that you will be with them. 
and watch over them and care for them and help them to be restored to good health. We pray, Father, that you will bless them in the days to come, that they can get better. And not only physical needs, but we know there are a lot of other needs as well. There's financial needs. There's emotional needs, Lord, spiritual needs, so much needs around us. And so we pray. We pray for all of those who are in need. We ask for your divine intervention in their life. We pray that you'll bless them and draw near to them. We pray that you will meet their needs. We pray, Heavenly Father, that that they will be aware of your love and grace and mercy in their life. Bless us today as we continue to worship you. Give us good hearts and good minds to love you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Bible teaches that because we are Christians living in a fallen and rebellious world, we are, in fact, more likely as Christians. We are more likely, not less likely, but more likely to become targets of rejection and persecution, to become targets of acts of evil. You know, I've lived a few years. I remember when I was a boy, I was kind of politically aware and politically interested in, you know, the world of politics and things like that. I I remember campaigns of the past when I was a boy. And if you were running for office some years ago, you would make sure that everyone knew that you were a churchgoer and you were a Christian. You know, you, the politicians, whether, whether what, at whatever degree that was true or not, they felt like it was a plus for them if everybody knew that they were a church-going Christian, okay? Today, there are many candidates who would think that that would be a negative, so they don't make that statement. We have come so far in America away from God, what God would have us to be. Today, more than ever, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians just like you and me, we are becoming the objects of rejection, the objects of persecution. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this term or not. I'm sure you probably are. But we are being canceled. <laughs> that is, you know, we're, we're being attacked and you know, it is being said that America would be a whole lot better place if y'all didn't exist. You old Bible-believing Christians, you get in the way of everything the people of the world want to do. You stand up for life. How dare you stand up for life? How dare you to stand up for Christian values and biblical values and biblical truths? And so more and more, now we're not being persecuted in America like many Christians in the world are being persecuted, not by any measure at all. But more and more in, in, in America, Bible, see, in this world we live in, Christianity will be tolerated as long as it's not biblical. If it's biblical Christianity, which is the only true Christianity there is, then it becomes a target for the world's rejection. But you can call yourself a Christian and hold all kind of different kind of unbiblical values and truths and believe in unbiblical conduct and the world will say, okay, we accept you. And so we live in a fallen world. And because of that, we are more likely to become targets of rejection and persecution and acts of evil. Now what Jesus says in this passage you know, I did a lot of study on this passage and reading different you know, commentaries and, 
in uh, different statements about this passage. And there's, there seems to be a lot of confusion. Now, what is Jesus saying? Why did he say this? And when we read it, we say, really? Is that realistic? Can you actually live this way in a fallen world? I mean, turn the other cheek, you know, and do good to those who do harm to you. Can you really live this way in a fallen world? And so there's a lot of confusion uh, about what, what Jesus is saying here and how are we supposed to apply this to our life? Well, I can tell you this is not a parable. Jesus is not presenting something in hyperbole. Jesus is presenting a straight narrative teaching and truth. And so what he says is what he says. And what he means is what he means. So how do we understand this? Well, to understand this, we're going to look at the principle of what Jesus says from the Old Testament. Then we're going to look at the perversion of that principle, which is still true today. And then we'll look at the perspective of Jesus. What is he saying to us? First of all, the principle from the Old Testament. The saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We've heard that. We've said that. That is a principle that is found three times in the Old Testament. Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, Deuteronomy 19, 21. Now, if you, you, you study those verses and how this principle is presented in those verses, you find out that this is a legal principle. It's called a forensic principle. It has to do with the court system and a, a guidance for judges in the nation of Israel. This principle was given by God to the judges, to the courts of Israel, to ensure that the punishment of those who had broken the law would fit their crimes. This principle was given to ensure that the, that the punishment of criminals, criminals would be just and fair and not excessive. That the punishment would fit the crime. I... For an eye. You lose an eye, you take an eye, you lose an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You take a tooth, you lose a tooth. Let me share with you one place, just one example of how this principle was applied in the laws of the Old Testament. Exodus 21, starting in verse 22. Here's what the law says. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury to the woman or to the child. The offender must be fined whatever the husband's, the woman's husband demands and the courts allow. But if there is a serious injury, then the punishment is to fit the crime. You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, Foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Now, what does all that mean? Well, to put it in modern terms, this principle was intended to prevent a shoplifter from getting life in prison. If somebody shoplifts, they don't deserve life in prison. They deserve to be punished. Apparently, in some places in America today, you can pretty well get away with it. But, you know, if, if the principle is if someone is, 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 is 
caught shoplifting, the, the punishment for that crime should fit the crime. In other words, a shoplifter shouldn't get life in prison. And oppositely from that, a murderer shouldn't get a slap on the wrist. In other words, the punishment is to fit the crime. Now, I have to give a little commentary on what's happening in America today. The justice system in America today, in many places, has gone bonkers. And, and people are getting away with crimes, and criminals are emboldened because they do stuff and they face very little consequence for that. The guy who attacked the guy running for governor of New York, I mean, he, he tried to kill the guy. He was let out the same day. <laughs> I mean, seriously, let out the same day. Of course, I understand he's been rearrested, you know, on federal charges. But I, I tell you, <laughs> the justice system in America is in deep trouble. Our nation is in deep trouble. And it's not a, it's, it's a moral thing. It's, it's not, you know, this or that. Or the, it's a moral thing. America is in deep trouble. We need revival. But the principle... The principle of what Jesus is saying is that the, the punishment is to fit the crime. It was to limit judges from overly, excessively punishing someone for a crime, to make the, the punishment fit the crime. Well, let's look at the perversion of this principle. Many people in the day of Jesus had perverted the meaning of this principle. And they were using this principle to justify and even encourage the holding of grudges and the pursuit of vendettas and vengeance, retaliation and revenge. Eye for an eye, two for a tooth. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> you know, you, you do me harm, I'm going to do you harm. And the principle of that day had been perverted to where, where people were encouraged to take the law into their own hands and to seek revenge when harm or perceived harm was done to them. Well, Jesus teaches in these, these verses that this principle was never intended for that purpose, to encourage revenge by an individual. And he also teaches how believers should respond to personal insults and mistreatment. Now, before we look at what the principle means as from the perspective of Jesus, it's important we understand what Jesus is not teaching in these verses. Jesus is not teaching that believers should not defend themselves and their loved ones from those who would attack them and do them harm. The Bible does not teach that Christians are to be doormats. That we're just to let people attack us and abuse us and our families without resistance. I can tell you that the last thing I do before I hit the sack at night is to make sure all of the doors in my house are locked. I make sure that my gun that's in the closet is ready to go. And if somebody tries to break in to do me or my family harm, that they're going to have a big surprise. They think well, maybe a preacher's a pushover. Well, if they can get through the barrage that I will send their way, maybe I am a pushover. I will defend myself and I will defend my family. And Jesus is not teaching that Christians are to just be doormats for any kind of evil, that we have the right to defend ourselves. 
Christians are to seek to live in peace with all people. We are never to be the attackers. We are never to be the aggressors. But we do have the right to defend ourselves. And that right is clearly taught in the Bible. Exodus 22.2. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. In other words, if a thief tries to break in and he's going to do you harm and your family harm and you take him out, you're innocent because you are defending yourself and you're defending your family. So Jesus is not saying we're to be doormats and we're to just let people run over us and we're just to let people do us harm. That we are to defend ourselves. We have the right of self-defense. Neither is Jesus teaching that a nation should not defend itself against military aggression. Jesus is speaking not to nations, but to individual believers. He's not saying to a nation. And some people have perverted this teaching, you know, pacifist and all of that, that there should never be war. There's never a circumstance where war is necessary. Well, Jesus is not teaching that a nation should not defend itself against military aggression. He's not speaking to nations. He's speaking to individuals. And secondly, while God hates war, there are times when a nation must go to war to defend itself and defend others who cannot defend themselves. And our nation has done that in the past. There is justifiable warfare. So Jesus is not saying that we as Christians ought to be doormats or that a nation doesn't have the right to defend itself or defend others who need defending. I think there are three forces that help to restrain evil in this world. The Holy Spirit, a strong national defense, and justifiable warfare. Those are three forces that God uses to restrain evil in this world. So that, Jesus is not teaching that in these verses. So what is he teaching? Well, Jesus is teaching that while believers have the right to resist evil and defend themselves, we never have the right to do evil to others. We never have the right to seek revenge against those who've done evil to us. If we are threatened with hurt and harm, we have the right to defend ourselves and our loved ones. If we are the victims of crime, we are to seek justice, but not revenge. And we are to trust God. Let me tell you about God. God's not going to let one single act of evil go without being addressed. In all of the history of mankind, wherever it may end, God will address every single act of evil. The evil that has been done to you and the evil that you have done to others. That evil will either be forgiven by the blood of Christ or that evil will be dealt with when we stand before Almighty God. And so when evil is done to you, even if you have not, even if you don't get justice in this world, you don't have to worry about it. Every evil will be addressed. In my very first church, 
and evil was done to me. I was accused of saying something that I did not say. And it cost me my time at that church, my very first church. A lady accused me of saying that her and her family were scallywags. Well, first of all, I'm not really sure what a scallywag is. I, I pretty well think I know what it is. Second of all, that's not a word Brother Chris uses. But I was accused of that. Now, upon reflection, they, they pretty well all were scallywags. You know? But I didn't say it. You know, I may have thought it. Y'all done that. Don't look, sit there and look all pious to me. There's a lot of things you've thought that you've never said. I didn't say any of that. But one Sunday when I came to church, half the church hadn't showed up because half the church was in that family. Well, I didn't know what was going on. Pretty soon I found out about it. So I went to this lady. I said, what is, what, what is this? She was on the front porch. I walked up to her. I said, what is this? She got off the front porch and went into the house. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't want to talk to Brother Chris. So I went next door talked to her daughter. Her daughter lived next door. And oh, how I had hurt them and all this kind of stuff. So I went to my head deacon. You know, I love my deacons. Went to my head deacon. I said, look, you know, I know this is going on in the church. This is half the church not showing up. Can you help me with this? Because I didn't say this. And bless his heart, he looked at me and he said, well, Brother Chris, I guess it's time for you to go. <laughs> Thank you for your support. And I said, well, okay. All right. And so, you know, I announced I was going to, and me and Miss Harris, I was in college. We didn't have a dime. We didn't have a dime. Very little. But we had, you know, we had to go. So I said, Lord, now you called me here and you called me to do what I'm doing. And you called me to, in the middle of nowhere in North Mississippi. Here I am far from home. So you got to help me. And he did. God's never let me down. <laughs> God has never let me down. He saw us through it. Well, you know, I gave him a notice time and all this kind of stuff. And then it came to my last sermon. And, that, you know, all up to the, that week coming to the last sermon, I said, I'm going to blast these people. I'm going to scorch the earth with my last sermon. You know, I, I hope these people bring some, some fire extinguishers because I'm going to let it go. And so the Lord said, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, no, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be all right. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. But don't do that. Help the church. You're still the pastor. Help the church. And so I got up there for my last sermon, and the, the family that had vacated the premises all showed up. <laughs> they wanted to see the last sermon. I said, well, these people are brave, you know. Because, you know, a lot of pastors, and bless their hearts, and I can understand it. When they're in that situation, they get up for the final time before that congregation. Man, they're going to let you have it with a sudden machine gun and let, you know, and just go at you. And I, I, I knew I couldn't do that. So, you know, I preached a message on love. I told them how much I love them, how much I appreciated them. I encouraged them to love one another and to care for one another. And that I would be praying for them and I would always be available to help them. And God gave me that grace, and God gave me that mercy to preach that kind of sermon. When it came down for the invitation to receive the invitation, the very woman who had accused me of all that stuff walked the aisle. I said, oh boy, here she comes to gloat. 
She was all crying. She said, Brother Chris, I'm so sorry. Please don't leave. <laughs> I said, honey, that train done left the station. Yeah, you know, but I hugged her and I hugged, hugged her neck and I encouraged her and I said, well, look, you know, I don't know why all this happened, but just when your next pastor comes, just, just love him. Just love him and give him encouragement because it was a small church. And, you know, they had a lot of student pastors. And when you, it's your first pastorate, if you go through something like that, you want to quit. You know, you want to say, well, this is not worth it, you know, to be a preacher like this. And I had those thoughts myself. But I'm a little hard-headed. And I said, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to trust the Lord. I talk about trusting the Lord. I tell people to trust the Lord. Okay, I'm in a situation where I have to trust the Lord. So I'm going to have to do it. And I did. And God took care of us. That was an evil done to me. But I knew it was not right to seek revenge. I wanted to trust God. Now that lady sought forgiveness from me and I presumed from, from God. And so that evil has been taken care of. But if an evil is ever done to you and you don't have justice in this world, don't worry about it. Justice will be done in heaven. There's a courtroom in heaven. And every single act of evil ever committed from the biggest to the smallest will be dealt with in the courtroom of heaven. It will either be forgiven by the blood of Christ or it will be dealt with by the judge of the universe. Jesus teaches us in this passage Instead of returning an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to those who insult us, offend us, and mistreat us, we are to respond in a different way to personal injuries and insults. We are to respond with Christian love and forgiveness and generosity and grace and mercy. Now that truth is found all throughout the New Testament. Matthew 5, Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. <laughs> Romans 12, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for others. Now, why would Jesus have us to respond to evil like this? <laughs> now, he's the standard don't ever think, oh, Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. Seriously? Seriously. He knows. He's been there. He's done that. Magnified a million times over from whatever you're experiencing. He knows. 
So why would Jesus have us to respond to evil in this way? It's contrary to what we feel. It's contrary to what we want to see happen. We want to see people pay for making us pay and hurting us. And yet Jesus says, don't do that. Don't respond to evil with evil. Don't seek revenge. It's like Jesus is saying, remember who you are. And remember who you represent in this world. So why would he have us to do this? Well, first of all, when we do this, when we return, when we act in this way, when evil is done to us, we are witnessing to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ. You can proclaim that you're a Christian all day long, but the world won't believe you until they see Christianity and true Christianity in action in your life. 1 Peter 2.23 Jesus said, or this is said of Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. We live in a fallen world and you're going to be mistreated and you're going to be hurt. You're going to be harmed. You can defend yourself and you can seek justice and well, you should. But you cannot seek revenge, not as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so when we react in this way, the world notices. <laughs> we witness to the world that we truly are followers of Jesus Christ. Second of all, Jesus would have us to do this because he will use our obedience to this command to win people to Jesus. When people, some people see how we react to evil done to us, and we don't react as the world reacts, they will say, wait a minute. Why are you acting in this way? Why are you different? We are to be different. Why are you different? Why are you so distinctive in how you are reacting to this? God will use our obedience to this command to bring people to Christ. Romans 12, 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. In other words, you will bring conviction to his life. The very first Christian martyr was a man by the name of Stephen. He was killed because of his testimony for Christ. His story is found in the book of Acts. You know what Stephen said as those Jews were stoning him to death? He said, Lord, let that not this be held against them. And he died with his eyes toward heaven. Heaven opened to him. And he died with testimony on his lips of the greatness of Christ. Standing nearby, holding the cloaks of those who were doing the stoning, was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul saw that. He saw how Stephen died with faith on his lips and a prayer of forgiveness on his lips. And it didn't change Saul at the moment, but he never forgot it. When Saul was confronted on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ, he said to Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the prods? In other words, the Holy Spirit was prodding poking at Paul, Saul of Tarsus, conviction, poking him with conviction. 
sticking him with conviction. And one of the things that kept prodding Saul's heart, even while he was persecuting Christians, was how Stephen had died with a prayer on his lips and forgiveness on his lips. And it made a difference to him. And eventually he came to Christ in a great way because of that vision of the Lord Jesus, because, also because of the memory of how Stephen had died. Honoring his Lord. Another reason why Jesus would have us to react to evil like this is God will bless and reward those who obey this command. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. Again, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on his head. And listen to what Proverbs adds. And the Lord will reward you. The Lord will bless you. If you obey this command. The Bible says that we are to leave the judgment and punishment of those who attack us and mistreat us to God. Romans 12, 19, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. We are to forgive those who mistreat us. We are to pray for them that they might repent and get right with God. Now, this is not easy to do. <laughs> this cuts contrary to who we are as human beings. This is not easy even for a saved person to do. But nobody ever said the Christian life was easy. The Christian life is not for wimps. The Christian life is for those who have the strength of God. And yes, it takes the strength of God to react with grace and mercy and forgiveness in the face of mistreatment. But that is what Jesus has commanded us to do. God will help us. As we walk with God and as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have the power, we will have the heart to turn the other cheek. Now, I've got to give you full disclosure, and I'm hurrying. And I've got to give you full disclosure. I've thought often about if somebody hurt somebody I loved, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, if somebody hurt them, if somebody mistreated them, if somebody really did something bad against them, I've often envisioned in my mind me, and, me being like Rambo and going after them, making them pay the price. And I've even said it on occasions. So I pray that God will defend them, God will help them, God will protect them. And I know if God forbid something like that ever happened, I know that God would help me to do what he's commanded me to do. I don't worry about justice. If justice is not done here, it will be done there. It will be done there. So quickly, I close with this. Five things to do instead of seeking revenge. First of all, love your neighbor. Leviticus 18, 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Second of all, wait for God. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. Huh. Number three, forgive them. Mark eleven twenty five. when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. 
Number four, pray for them. Luke 6, 28, Jesus simply says, pray for those who mistreat you. And finally, be good to your enemies. Romans 12, verses 20 and 21, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap coals, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, God had grace on you when you were saved and me. We didn't deserve that. Don't ever pray that God would give you justice. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You want grace. God had grace on us when he saved us. And we didn't deserve it. Not one iota. We were criminals against almighty God. We had mistreated God. We had rebelled against God. We had turned our backs on God. We had disobeyed God. We were criminals against the God of the universe. And yet we asked for forgiveness. And we were forgiven because of Christ. As we have received grace, we are to give grace to others. It'll be hard, but God will help us. Finally, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and railing be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as God also in Christ forgave you. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.